So, yes, it's Father's Day. This is not necessarily going to be a Father's Day message, but I'm thinking about it this week, and I'm um, thinking about my father. I was thinking about my grandfather <clears throat> as well. My uh, grandfather has since passed, um, but they had a special marriage, a uh, wedding celebration um, for 60 years. My grandparents were married for 60 years, um, and so... I remember we were all sitting around um, at this celebration for them. And, you know, we're looking for some pearls of wisdom from my grandfather. And so somebody said, Pop, what is the key? What must we know to make it 60 years? Like you and my grandmother. And he said, well, it really comes down to two things. Don't die and don't leave. <laughs> if both of you do that, you'll make it. That's about as close to a sure thing as he could have told us, right? Don't die, don't leave. The truth is, in our world, in marriage, in society, in our culture, all over the place, it seems like there is not a sure thing. Nothing is guaranteed. There's an old saying, nothing is certain in life but death and taxes. I don't know if you've heard that. but. And I personally don't like giving promises. My children will tell you that. I hate to say I promise this or that because you just never know what's going to happen. I'll say, to the best of my ability, I hope that we'll do that or I, I will do that. It's hard because you just don't know what will happen. And when we live in a world like that, it makes it somewhat uncertain and somewhat stressful, right? Especially today in the world where every foundation, every security is constantly being shaken and seemingly broken down. Um, I heard someone say uh, once, if you live in New York City and you're thinking about going out for dinner or something like that or staying home, go out. Because you never know what you're going to see. You never know what you're going to experience. There, there are some things I'd like to unsee. Um, by going out, because it's true, you never know what you're going to see, some good, some bad, but there's just uncertainty everywhere. That's part of life. But this morning, as we wrap up our message series in the book of First John, entitled Living in the Light, we come to the end of chapter 5, the final chapter in this letter. And this is the final word um, that the apostle and disciple John uh, writes to these Christians at the church in Ephesus and the surrounding uh, region. And John is giving a message of hope to these Christians because there is persecution, there is difficulty all around them, there is uncertainty all around them. But he's giving a word of insurance, assurance, sorry, assurance of confidence that there are a few things you can know beyond a shadow of a doubt. And they are all in Christ Jesus this morning. It's not just theoretical, it's not just theological, solid truth to build your life on. John Piper, in a message he gave in um, 2000 to a bunch of college students, some of you may have heard, he'd written books about it and everything called Don't Waste Your Life. And there's one little quote from that. He says, you don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a huge difference. He's talking to college students getting ready to go out and Charge the world. 
You don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a huge difference. But you do, you do need to know a few great things that really matter and be willing to live for them with all your might and to die for them. And this morning, we're going to look at this passage of Scripture and look at a few things that you can know, you can bet your life on and build your life on in Christ Jesus. So let's look at 1 John chapter 5. I'll begin reading in verse 13. <clears throat> it should be on the screen, or you can follow along with what you have. Beginning in verse 13 of 1 John chapter 5. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All all wrongdoing is sin. But there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Speak to us this morning in a way that I couldn't possibly. Through your Holy Spirit, in Christ's name, amen. So the title of this morning's message is The Only Sure Thing, right? In a world of confusion, deception, darkness, a culture of conflicting messages and headlines, about the failures of institutions, the failure uh, of our leaders. There is something that we can know for sure. See, the overarching purpose of John's letter here to the Christians is to be an encouragement to their faith and to help them be sure of their faith and to reject the doubt that some were trying to uh, put into the church at that time so that they could walk in assurance and walk in joy Because their hope is not in the things of the world or even in themselves, but in Christ Jesus and his finished work on the cross. To know that they are in Christ. It's interesting here because we've talked about um, the context of this letter. He's writing this church at Ephesus. And um, what had happened is some people had gotten into the church with this Gnosticism, this Gnostic philosophy. It's kind of this philosophy of knowledge. And they were making all kinds of uh, statements about who Jesus was, was he God, was he man, all these things. But that Gnosticism, that's from the Greek meaning known, to be known. This is is kind of a philosophy based on knowledge, right? Trying to get understanding and knowledge. And John rejects it because what happens is when when we rely on our human knowledge, we miss it every time. We're limited. We begin to fill in gaps that with things that don't belong there. But it's interesting, he uses that word know as he finishes this letter six times 
in these eight verses. It's almost like he's going back at the Gnostics. You want to know something? I'll tell you what you can know. This word know in the original language, to be sure, to understand, to see, to perceive. John is writing to the church at Ephesus and to you this morning and me and telling us that we can know, we can understand and perceive the things of God. We can be sure and confident in our faith. So what is it that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt in Christ? First of all, we know we have eternal life. That's what he says right here in verse 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Praise God. First and foremost, the rest of this knowledge that he's talking about, the rest of these things he's talking about, you can know, are based in those who believe in the name of the Son of God, are founded in Jesus Christ, the Savior, who is true, who is faithful, who is sure. And so all the other knowing we do in life, the, the knowledge that we um, pursue, must be grounded in faith in Christ first and foremost. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know I am secure in Jesus. You are secure in Christ. If you have prayed uh, in repentance and prayed to receive Christ as Savior and trusted your sin to Him on the cross, you are secure in Him. I remember when I was a kid, um, I prayed to receive Christ at a young age, seven years old. I was around it all the time. The message, I had a a burden for my sin. I understood that I was broken. I was not perfect and, and all those things. And I understood that I had sinned against God and I prayed to receive Christ. And it was, you know, early in my life, which is a blessing. However, I still found myself wrestling with sin to a certain degree. And I didn't really understand the security I had in Christ. And so I remember I used to sneak in my dad's room, my mom and dad's room, and my dad would like take the change out of his pockets and he would stack it up on his dresser and he would like quarters, dimes, nickels, you know, pennies. And I would take all the quarters. <laughs> I'd leave the pennies and the dimes and nickels. And I remember my dad going, I wonder what's going on. Somebody keeps getting my quarters. And he would just kind of beat around the bush and I felt guilty. I knew it was me, you know, I would snatch those quarters. And then I'd go to church on Sunday and then they'd have the invitation and then I would be like, uh-oh, I think maybe I'm not saved. Maybe, maybe I've slipped through the cracks somehow. Maybe the fact that I, I sinned again or I took my dad's quarters, maybe that, is, maybe that has disqualified me. So I probably prayed the sinner's prayer a thousand times, right? Asking God to forgive me and to, to save me. But what John's saying is that's not necessary. If you put your faith in Christ, belief in the Son of God and His payment for your sin, you are secure in Him. You have eternal life. I have eternal life. It's not something that I can keep earning or earn at all. It's by the grace of God that you are held. And listen, Christian, this morning I want to encourage you with that. You are held in Christ Jesus by His grace. Your account is settled and one day... You will see him face to face, and I will see him face to face. Take heart. It's not in your effort, but in his grace. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work, so that no man may boast. What, what a blessing. What a gift 
that I don't have to earn, that you don't have to earn, but faith, the faith kind of believing in the Son of God to depend on Him. And what He has given us is eternal life. The haunting question of the world that um, people wrestle with, what's next? What happens when I die? He has purchased eternal life in the presence of God Almighty for eternity. My eternity is set. One day I will see Him face to face. Be encouraged today, believer. When things get difficult, when there's struggle, and there will be struggle, this is not the end of the story. He's going to prepare a place for us. And so eternal life, though, also means abundant life today. Eternal life begins right now. We are living in that eternity. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it to the full. You want life? Life is in Jesus. If you have Jesus, you have life. Not temporary, but eternal. So be encouraged this morning. John says, I write these things that you might know, that you might have confidence that you have eternal life in Christ Jesus. But not just eternal life, but in Christ, my prayers are answered. I can be confident and know that my prayers are heard and answered by God. He says in verse uh, 14 there, And this is the confidence that we have toward Him. If we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. This was earth-shattering for the Jewish people of the day. You know, they were used to going to the priest. The priest would go in and, and make the sacrifices for their sins. They would intercede for the people. Jesus came to tear that veil in two. And if you've ever been down to St. Patrick's Cathedral, it's beautiful. You go in there, it's awe-inspiring, right? But it's interesting. Last time I went in there, I was walking around. They have, they have confession booth in there. And I think it's kind of on some people's bucket list to do confession at St. Patrick's Cathedral. So they wait in line to confess to the priest. Scripture tells us that when Jesus was crucified, the veil in the temple was torn in two, that you and I might have access to God Almighty, not because we're good enough, not because we're a priest, not because we're holy in and of ourselves, but because Jesus is our priest. Jesus has paid the price for our sin. And so we have access to God Almighty. As you walked in this morning, you have access to the Father through Christ to pray, to say, Lord, help me as I go in here. As you see somebody coming towards you, uh-oh, God, please be with me today. He hears you. He hears me. As believers, we ought to walk in that. We ought to relish that. He's with you. We were created for relationship. That's this relationship. And our prayers are answered, he tells us. It's not just a formal prayer that we can bring to God. It's communicating with our Heavenly Father. It's a conversation every day, abiding in Him and communicating. He says in verse 14, if we ask anything, what John is saying is dump your hearts out before the Lord. Make this a real thing. Don't just say eloquent words. Come before the for the Father in honesty and a, a humble heart. Bring all of your life to Him. You can know today that you have access to God Almighty. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be known to God. Over and over again in Scripture, He says, come, come to me. Speak to me. Cast your cares on me. Our prayers are answered 
Our prayers are answered in accordance with God's desires and purposes, however. And part of us growing as believers is our desires being transformed into God's desires. That I would no longer want the things that I've always desired and the temporary pleasures that I always pursued. God, by His Holy Spirit, is sanctifying me. He's changing my desires, changing my wants. He says in this curious passage between uh, verse 16 and 17, if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death. There's been a lot of debate. What is he saying here? What's he talking about here? Some say that there are sins that a believer can commit that lead to death. But the ultimate sin that cannot be dealt with by someone else in your life is the sin of rejecting Christ as Savior. He's calling us to come to Him in prayer. And He says, if you'll pray for one another, God God will answer your prayer on their behalf and move in their life. But one thing God will not do is force you to receive Him as Savior. He will not force you into that relationship with Him. So I cannot come before the Father and say, listen, God, just, just save Him. Just save Him. It's faith. It's grace by faith. That sin leads to death and eternal death, forever separated from God. And no matter what you think about exactly what his wording here, what, the truth of what he is saying is, my prayers are to be in line with God's desire and God's sovereignty and his purposes. My prayers are answered when they don't conflict with the, the sovereignty of God. Some may say, well, what's the point of praying then if it's simply what God wants already? Listen, we misunderstand prayer. What prayer is when I humble myself before the Father and bring my request to Him and pray to Him, I'm submitting my life to Him. I'm, I'm submitting every area of my life. I'm bringing, number one, I'm getting my eyes off the world and my things and I'm putting them on God. I'm, I'm putting my dependence on Him and I'm, I'm being honest. I'm laying my heart out before Him. And He changes my perspective When I'm praying, He is working in me, and that is a blessing. God is sovereign. God hears and He answers our prayers. You can know that this morning. And another thing John is telling us here is the first thing you should do when you see a a friend or someone who's caught in sin, someone's broken uh, in sinfulness, is pray for them. I'm convicted we don't pray for one another personally enough. God has given us as a gift to one another to carry one another's burdens, to pray for one another. He's saying, come on behalf of one another and pray. So he gives us eternal life. You can know that today. You can know that your prayers are heard and answered. And you can know that the power of sin is broken in you, in Christ Jesus. Verse 18, he says, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. The present tense of that phrase, keep on sinning, is, I mean, uh, who, yeah, the present tense of keep on is implying habitual, continually, in an unbroken sequence, sinning. So it means I make a habit of sinfulness in my life. I am pursuing the things of the world. I am pursuing my flesh. I am, I am ignoring God and I am pursuing and holding on to those things. 
But he says those who are born of God, he protects and the evil one does not touch him. You might say, well, I sin. I, I do sin at, at times still. And he says that do not touch him. What the scholars say about that word in the Greek is it's stronger than touch. It means grasp or to lay hold of. What he's telling us here is Satan and sin cannot grab hold of you and hold on to you in Christ Jesus. That was broken on the cross. By Jesus shedding his blood on the cross, you've been freed from that. Now, you may submit yourself again to it, but you have been, your, your freedom has been purchased in Christ Jesus from sin. There's still, there's still temptation. We still walk in the flesh. We still walk in a fallen world and fallen bodies. But the reason that Jesus came to the earth was to defeat sin, to break the chains of sin, the shame and guilt, the punishment for sin, the power of sin to keep you and to keep me living in bondage to my fallen desires, my destructive nature. That was all broken on the cross. Romans 6, 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. You have been freed from the power of sin. It's not easy. It's still a daily struggle, but you can have confidence this morning. Sin and Satan do not have power over you. Your flesh, you'll still struggle in your flesh, but we can run to Christ for strength. The very first chapter of this book, he says, confess your sins. Come, agree with God. But my guilt is taken away. The shame and failures of my brokenness, which drives so much of our culture. It drives so much of humanity. This shame, this, this running from my shame and brokenness. Sin isolates It makes me feel like no one understands, no one loves, no one cares for me. Satan wants you to think that you can carry and you must carry your brokenness and your guilt and shame all on your own. But we can run to Jesus. Galatians 5.1, he came to give us freedom. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Listen, the good news this morning is that you are free from sinfulness. You are free from the guilt of it. You can come to the Father, like He said, in prayer, and you can confess your sin. You can lay it at His feet. It is removed as far as the east is from the west. You don't have to carry it anymore. So we can be sure. We can know that we have eternal life. We can know that our prayers are heard. We can know that sin has lost its power over me. And we can know that we've been made alive spiritually. Verse 19, he says, We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. The truth today is that the world lies in deception. The dangerous state of deception. Romans 1.28 says this, And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And that is the state with which we find our culture, our nation, our world today. The deception that right is wrong and wrong is right. The deception that there is no truth, there is no absolute truth. 
the deception of self-righteousness, that I can be religious enough or that I'm good, fine just like I am, the deception that life is hopeless, despondency, which drives so many to try to mitigate that day in and day out. That's really what life is about, trying to mitigate my pain and my hopelessness. That's deception. The deception that I have no value or identity apart from my gender or my race or my sexuality or my political party. That's what the world wants us to believe. It's deception. The deception that I need and can find the affirmation or approval of any man. Listen, the world is deceived and Satan is having a field day. But here's good news, Ephesians 2. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Listen, in Christ, God has given you eyes to see. He has brought you spiritually to life. When before it was spiritual confusion in Christ, He tells us, the writer of Ephesians tells us, we've been brought to life and we can see. God gives us eyes to see. He's awakened me. The scales have been dropped. So now I can see right from wrong. I can see beyond the headlines and and what is considered shameful one day and celebrated the next day. I can see to the heart of the issue. I don't have to pursue what the world decides to accept or to cancel today or tomorrow. I can have discernment in Christ. Jesus breaks through all that deception. We can have confidence that our identity is established in Jesus as children of the Most High God who sits on His throne and is sovereign and, yes, is still in control and will never leave or forsake me. Jesus gives us this discernment. In verse 20, He says, He has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. Listen, knowledge and understanding opposed, as opposed to these philosophers back in the day and, and many today is given. It is a gift. It's not achieved. People talk, throw around the words like, is God fair? God's not fair. You, you think it's fair that you, some people are intelligent enough to figure out the, the philosophical, spiritual, theological things of God? That's fair? And if you were just born in the wrong place at the wrong time, you just, you don't have, or is it, is it love, an expression of love that anyone can come, even a child can understand that God loves you and came to rescue you and to save you. That is a good, loving father. And that's exactly what he did. It's not based on anything, any high knowledge that I can have in and of myself. It is what God gives me. Ephesians 1.18, he talks, in Christ, he talks about, Our eyes are enlightened. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Listen, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit resides within you and He is speaking. He is revealing Himself to you and He is speaking to you about the world around you, about your relationships. In everything, He is speaking the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And the Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. And so you can know that you have access to wisdom and discernment in Christ. Christians, quit being so confused. When 
When a headline hits or a new fad comes on or people are saying this now, I'm not sure, I thought maybe this. Run to the Word of God. See with spiritual eyes. Don't see the temporary things of the world. See, see people as either broken and hopeless without peace and that should stir up compassion in us because we too have once been broken without peace and those who are brothers and sisters in Christ that need encouragement, need accountability. See with eyes, the eyes of Christ. That's one of my prayers all the time. Lord, give me your perspective because my perspective is full of flesh in and of myself. The way I respond to people, the way I feel in my flesh is, is still raging against the Spirit of God. And so, Pray that he would give you that wisdom and you would be aware that it's yours. See beyond the world that is screaming all around us and pursue godly wisdom. So we, we can know this morning. It's good news. We have eternal life. That is settled. It's by faith. We, we know our prayers are heard. When you bow to pray, God hears you. I know it's amazing. The psalmist says that God bends his ear to hear the prayers of his people. He inclines his ear. Another, another translation is he tunes his ear. His ear is tuned to hear you today. Your sin has no dominion over you. Even though, even though you still sin at times, even though they're still wrestling with the flesh, you are freed from that. You can walk in freedom and you can grow in holiness. He is doing that work in you. It's not you doing it in yourself. And you are alive spiritually. You have the perspective of Jesus. Just pray that you would, you would see with his eyes. And finally, I know Jesus. I can know that I know the Son of God. I know Jesus and he knows me. He knows you this morning. He says there in verse 20, And we are in him who is true and his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. In him, we are in him who is true. This relationship, we walk with him, talk with him. Without Jesus, I say this all the time, nothing changes. With Jesus, everything changes. I can testify to that in my own life. Listen, today, Christian, let me encourage you. The mystery of eternal life, the mystery of life and death, the mysteries of God, the mystery of purpose and meaning in life, you have in Jesus Christ. Jesus fulfilled all those things. The answer to loneliness, the answer to being accepted, is all in Jesus Christ. He affects everything. He knows you. He cares for you today. He knows every trial you're in. He knows every pain and burden. And He's promised to bring peace in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the storm. You have Jesus who's promised to never leave you, never forsake you. 
And his desire is that you grow in that relationship with him, your understanding of him. Philippians 3.10, Paul wrote, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. For Paul, it was all about knowing Christ more and more. We have to get our eyes off of our circumstances because those change. Some days they're good, some days they're bad. The difference is my faith is not in my circumstances. My faith is not in myself because I can tell you from my perspective, that's depressing because I know I'm capable of a few things, not much. And most of it ends up in the wrong way. Rick Warren wrote a book several years ago, got real popular. I actually never read it, but I did read the first line. It says, and I like that first line, it says, it's not about you. That's how he starts off the Purpose Driven Life book. It's not about you. I like that. Because that's true. It's not about me. Listen, that's what it means to come to faith in Christ, is I get my eyes off of myself and say, you know, I can't save myself. I, just, I can't do this. I can't make meaning of life. I can't find purpose in life. And, and I can't see you. I don't... I don't see you or hear you, but I'm putting my faith in you, Jesus. And Christian, the call is not to do that and be like, all right, good, got, got hell out of the way. Now I can just do what I want. No, it's a relationship he has saved you for. It is to give, him, give you more and more of himself, himself every day. All through this letter, John gives us a mirror. He's holding up a mirror to determine whether or not I am in Christ. I can know that. Am I changed? Am I changing? Is he changing you? He sums it up in 1 John, uh, the beginning of this same chapter, chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He says this. Here's a little mirror that John holds up to you, Christian, this morning. Everyone who believes that Jesus is, is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey His commandments. Right there, he gives us three things to look at. First of all, belief. Everyone who believes in Jesus Christ. Have you put your faith in Christ Jesus as Savior, one and only Savior and Lord of your life? So there's this theological aspect of this mirror But also, do you love the Father? Do you love God? Do you seek to please the Father? It's not about work salvation. He's saying it's natural. You love the Father. You obey His commandments. You love Him. You pursue Him. He changes me. I see that my life is changing. My desires, my wants are changing. Are you changing? And then finally, love one another. He says that's proof. He's not saying you have to love each other to be saved. He's saying if you love the Father, if you know Christ as Savior, you will love one another. It's not a work salvation. It all begins with that faith in Jesus Christ. And so he came to give us a relationship with him, to walk with him. It's interesting. I don't know if anybody else sees it this way, but that last verse, he's going through all this stuff. And in the last verse, he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Where did that come from? Didn't even seem to fit there. What's he saying? He's saying, danger, Christians. Danger. 
Everything is pursuing the throne in your life. Career, relationships, whatever it is. It's pursuing the throne of your heart. John Calvin said, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory. And it's true. Constantly, I want to pull away. Constantly, I want to follow someone or something else. And so what John is saying is here, all of this, keep yourselves from idols. If Jesus is not on the throne of your heart and your life, if, if, if you're not pressing into Him and He's not first, then other things are creeping in to be on that throne. When we live outside of faith in God's promises, this assurance that He gives us, that's idolatry. Let me encourage you this morning. Keep Jesus first. Encourage yourself and those around you in the promises of Christ. When the rain and winds blow of life, and they will blow, don't abandon your faith. Press in. Don't abandon your faith and reach out for something that looks more immediate, more satisfying in the moment. Hold on to Christ because He is holding on to you. Don't grab onto the obvious sins of life and don't grab onto those more subtle sins of life like pride and fear and self-preservation that are constantly vying for the, the throne of your heart and mind. The enemy of fellowship with God is idolatry. I mean, this is, the, this is the story of mankind, right? I've said this before. God pursues, we run. God pursues, we run. God pursues. As His children, as Christians, as believers, He's still pursuing you. He's still calling you. He's always calling us closer. In every trial and every struggle that you have, one of the things that God is saying to you is, come closer to me. Hold on to me more. Hold on to that less. You hold on to me, I will, I will move in those situations. I will move in those relationships, but I will not compete for the throne of your heart. Jesus is mine. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Old hymn we used to sing growing up. Today you can be sure about your eternity. Listen, I just want to make that clear because the rest of this flows from that. You can be sure today that you have eternal life. God has made that available. He is a good father. He created us. He set a pebble in our shoe, which Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that God has set eternity in the heart of man. That is a pebble in the shoe of mankind to remind us, to create this uncomfortableness, like there's got to be more. There's more than what I see here. And that is God's homing signal to you to come to him. And you can be sure of eternity in Christ Jesus, something even a child can come and put their faith in and understand that God loves you with whatever baggage you have. Doesn't matter where you've been. Doesn't matter what has happened to you or that you have done to others. Does not matter. He calls you in his love to be restored, to be forgiven, to find salvation in Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus came. This morning, he offers it to you fresh and anew, that voice. Remember, we run, he pursues. This morning, he's pursuing some of you, continuing to pursue you, calling you to himself. I love you. Trust me. You can know that God hears your prayers this morning. Christian, God is listening. His ear is bent. He's active in your life. He, he saved you for a relationship. His desire is to walk in that relationship 
with you. Live in confidence and purpose, seeing with spiritual eyes while the world around you sees and responds with eyes of flesh that, that, that have no confidence, no real assurance of anything. It's a state of panic and confusion. Don't live that way. Don't burden yourself under that slavery. Trust in Christ. Christian, live this way. It's not theoretical. As you leave this building, celebrate. I am, I am protected by God. I'm walking with God. He's with me. Even when I fail, He doesn't run off like people do. He's there. When I was a kid, we used to play marbles every now and then. I was reminded of this. We went in a five and dime uh, out in the Poconos this past week. And my kids are like, five and what? It's, a, it's called a five and, it's like five and ten on the, on the sign. We call it a five and dime. Anyway, that's where I got my marbles <laughs> for like 40 cents for a whole bag of them. And we used to play at school. And I remember every now and then a kid would come who just like found some marbles in his dad in their basement or something that his dad used to have. Or, or he got some marbles from somebody somehow. And he would have like these marbles that we all knew because we were experts at marbles. Those are nice marbles. Or they'd have one nice, like, cat's eye marble that was like, wow, we'd see it in their bag, and we're like, hey, how's it going, you know? They just thought everybody liked them a lot, but we were just, like, trying to get those marbles. And we knew they didn't know what they were doing. So we're like, I'll play you, I'll play you. Everybody wanted to play them. So we'd play them for that marble, and we'd, we'd get him to play that cat's eye or that real valuable marble and lose it like that. And before he knew it, he had, his bag was empty, and we're like, all right, thanks a lot, bye. Just kind of took advantage of him, right? And he thought we were all trying to be his friends. And actually, we just wanted the marbles. I'm thinking one kid uh, particularly. I've already repented of this. so. <laughs> but listen, as believers in Jesus Christ, as followers of Christ, if we don't understand and recognize the treasure that we have in Christ, the assurance we have in Jesus, this world will tear you up. It will drag you through the hopelessness It will drag you through the lack of peace. It will confuse you. It'll call you this way and then that way. It'll say, no, act this way. Okay, Christian, we'll accept accept you if you act this way or do this thing or say that thing. Listen, our confidence is in Jesus Christ. Today, walk in that. God does the, the business of changing people's lives. Sometimes we think we're doing a noble thing by adjusting the message of Christ and Christianity so that it's more palatable for people. Listen, people are lost and broken and dying for the truth. But if they don't see the truth in my life and in your life, they'll never believe, they'll never believe apart from the sovereign work of Christ, which he does in people's hearts, but they'll, they'll never believe by looking at your life or my life. Listen, we have all these things in Christ Jesus. It is, Jesus is the sure thing. And you can live that way. We're called to live that way. The world, Satan, my own flesh will rob me blind. Leaving me broken and hopeless. Believing in the promises of the temporary things around me. Listen, today, let me encourage you. Set Christ at the center of your life again. Set Him on the throne of your life. Reset this morning, wherever you are today, wherever you're at, wherever your relationship with Him is, reset in prayer this morning. Say, God, take the throne of my life. Take the reins of my life. Press into Jesus. Rely on Him. Talk to Him. Show Him to the world.
with confidence that he is the one sure thing. You've been given all of that in Jesus Christ. You can know this morning you are loved. You are cared for. And he holds you in the grip of his, of his hand. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your love and grace. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. You pursue us even when we're running full speed away. When we are begging and searching for things to trust in, for people to trust in besides you. And over and over again, we end up broken and hurt. And over and over again, you are standing with your arms wide open. And so if there's one here this morning that doesn't know that they have eternal life, I pray that today would be the day that they would relinquish the death grip they have on their life and trust you, trust your love. And Lord, for all of us that walk as Christians, all of us, uh, any of us who proclaim to, to know Christ as Savior, Lord, may we walk in that victory, the confidence that we have eternal life, we have abundant life here on this earth, that this is not the end of it, the grave is not the end of it, We have the promise of eternal life and we have the promise, God, that you hear our prayers, you hear our cries for help and you respond. God, we have confidence that you are changing us, you are moving, working in us, giving us spiritual wisdom and discernment. You have have, uh, awakened us from our sleep. May we walk in that, not, not submitting ourselves again to the yoke of the slavery of sin, but Lord, confessing our sin, walking in active loving relationship with you and demonstrating the world to the world that we, we know Jesus and he knows us and he wants them to know him as well. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name, amen.